Hello, and welcome to Nighttime Scientific Monologue Part 5. My name is Pavel Rajov. Thank you very much for tuning in. If you have previously listened to one of my other episodes, I really appreciate it. Um, today, I would like to talk about education. And um, education is something that I am very much tied to because obviously for the past I would say 20 years, I have been a student in some shape or form. I've been a student in a school, I've been a student in college, community college, then a university, and then a graduate school. And uh, obviously, being a student for this long, I'm sure for many of you out there, it, it raises a lot more questions at the end of the road in terms of, okay, what have I learned? Why did I take certain classes or why I made some certain choices during my education and how have they impacted uh, my understanding of who I want to be when, when I grow up and uh, many other questions. But another question that I think is also very cru- crucial with regards to education uh, has to do with its, its price and its format. And... Um, I, for, I think for the for this particular uh, monologue today, I'm going to touch on probably both, but uh, forgive me if I don't touch on one or the other in uh, in the at the extent that uh, you may want to hear. But let's start with the price. And obviously, uh, living in America, in particular in California, I am uh, very familiar with. Um, with, with student debt, student loans that many Americans and people who come to the United States, people have to deal with. Fortunately, I'm gonna get this disclaimer out of the way, I did not have to take any student loans and I'll explain in a moment if you don't know my story personally, I'll explain why I don't have any student loans. But a majority of people here who have to study in America do have student loans and uh, they range from small I don't think there are there there are no small loans I think but there so I would say they range from large large loans to obscenely large loans and to just outright probably crazy loans. that's my opinion so it's not a secret or at least I hope it isn't, that the amount of student debt, cumulative amount of student debt, I think is at least over a trillion dollars in America. So this is the outstanding student debt that needs to be paid back by um, by the people who have taken it. That's crazy. That is a such a crazy number if you think about it. Because... I, I'm very curious to know, actually, like, how many students does that, um, like, how many people actually have student loans? And let's say the population, let's do a quick math um, uh, tangent. Let's say population of America is 300 million. Let's say, I want to say maybe a third 
Okay, let's make a quarter. I think quarter is a little bit more realistic, but maybe it's between a quarter and a third of the population that has student loans. But let's say a quarter. A quarter, that's uh, that's about maybe 75 uh, to 75 million people. So 75 million people and trillion dollars. Let me do a quick calculation. That comes at around um, oof, that's a billion, that's a trillion, 75 million. That comes at around $13,000 per person. Well, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, because obviously we know that these numbers do not reflect how much certain groups of people have to take in student loans. Case in point. Uh, medical medical school student loans. If you know anything about going to medical school, uh, obviously you need to get a bachelor degree, which is obviously first you have to take a loan to go to a bachelor program, and then medical school is another four years. It's another student loan. So you're looking at potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars that some medical students are actually in debt for. So, these are just some examples, and obviously there are many examples out there, and maybe some of you listeners may actually relate to that. But why, why, why do we talk about it, besides the obvious fact that that's a crazy, crazy thing that we, crazy, um, just stuff that we, that this is, we need, even need to talk about it in the first place. The underlying issue is obviously what do we do about it and I have recently watched uh, an excerpt from Joe Rogan podcast I think he was interviewing Andrew Yang I believe who was the Democrat one of the um, potential uh, presidential uh, candidates and the conversation obviously turned to making uh, student you know, getting rid of student debt in some shape or form or making education free. So that was not the proposal by Andrew, it was actually a proposal by Bernie Sanders to make all education free. And I found it, that discussion to be quite interesting uh, because a couple of points were raised that I want to bring up here. Um, the, the main reason to go against free education in America is uh, is because of the way it is set up in the first place. The way it is set up, and that's sort of not my uh, take on the matter, this is just what I've heard during that uh, excerpt, uh, podcast excerpt. The way it is set up, there is potentially a lot of extra administ- administrative staff and a lot of additional costs associated with running um, higher education institution, which tends to leave, uh, lead to an, a lot of overhead charges for education. And I, oh, I'm not an education expert, but again, I have been a student for a while, including in America. And that was a very interesting thought. Do uh, American colleges and universities have an excess of staff or not 
And if so, what kind of positions are the most redundant and the ones that may need to go away potentially for those costs to be cut down? Um, and I, again, I'm not saying like, oh, that's the only way to cut, cut down on the cost of education. But I think it raises an interesting point, especially in times like these. What is the most optimal way of obtaining knowledge? Is it through a conventional four-year degree program? Is it through a shorter certificate program? Is online education going to be the prevalent main uh, source of people's knowledge? And is it ever going to replace traditional type of education experience? And if so, how it will be implemented? The time right now is to reflect on what um, system of education has been in place. And obviously, it is no secret that the majority of education is done and formal education is done on, on campus. There is uh, many reasons to that, which is obviously uh, social interactions between students, professor to student interactions, uh, uh, potentially many opportunities to actually engage in a number of activities, both learning and extracurricular on campus, So, which online education does not really provide. So with that in mind, now we find ourselves in a situation where most of the classes will have to go to online type format for the time being. So many universities, rightfully so, are trying to, I guess, devise ways of migrating some of the classes to online education. But can that be done? Can, does that apply to every single class out there? So from the scientific point of view, that's a very, very important discussion to be had. So my perspective or my initial thoughts on that are the following. So if there, if some of the other classes can be taken online because there is no laboratory component to that. In case of scientific classes, one of the primary reasons you uh, you take scientific classes is also to learn how to work in a laboratory. At least that's a core component of scientific education is knowing how to work in a laboratory. So cutting that experience down and trying to change that into a online format is a very uh, dangerous thing because it would undermine the ability of a person to actually be in a lab and do something physically with their own hands and actually feel the equipment, feel uh, how to handle uh, instrumentation and uh, behave in a safe environment and things like that. So reducing that type of educational component in the scientific, in scientific majors 
would have a huge effect on um, on learning. Um, that is to say, only if and only to the extent that it can be actually supplemented with really good quality online content that is specifically tailored to scientists and to students who are majoring in life sciences and that content is actually trying to imitate some of the situations that students would find in a laboratory setting. One of the key examples of that effort is a company called Labster, uh, which are doing exactly that. They basically have an online platform with a number of uh, really cool simulations of working in a laboratory. And those simulations are actually a lot more... Um, they, you, the, these simulations are actually nothing you can f- practically do in the real world, at least uh, some portion of them, which, which is what makes them quite interesting. Because only you can, o- you can only do certain things or visualize certain things on a computer screen. This is sort of like an augmented way of of uh, working in a lab to some extent. But going back slightly to the point of uh, student debt and um, how it fits into the narrative of the online classwork. Um, If the classes are now down online, majority of them, what should happen to the costs of the education? how much they would have to change to reflect this new format of receiving knowledge because now you're cutting down on um, on the facilities costs on the maintenance costs of uh, running the campus of running the housing potentially for students and all those different things electricity and whatever so rightfully a number of people are asking these questions what happens to the tuition costs how much are they going to go down and uh, the response from several universities i don't have the exact list but something that caught my attention was some universities do not yet attempt to change their tuition to reflect this new mode of of education and this is a very crazy st- story because now you're essentially charging students um, the same amount of money for entirely different educational experience potentially one that lacks so many critical components of what um, on-campus education has so in what world do you think this is this is right to charge people so much money already but also to charge just the same amount for education that is so uh, so not reflective of the uh, of the educational environment that for which you you charging so much money. This is a crazy situation, and I frankly I don't envy all of the universities that have to make these tough choices because essentially they are left with. Um, students not going to ca- uh, not going to campus. They have to potentially follow um, staff, potentially follow some uh, adjunct professors or TAs or a 
number of people who actually facilitate the educational process when it takes place on campus. And this is uh, this is uh, one of just again one of the most potent examples of how the pandemic actually influences and I would say just changes entirely how the education landscape actually looks like across the world. So what does that really mean going down the line? And in particular, what do I think is going to happen to scientific education? Because again, I, I strongly believe that uh, removing the practical component of working in a laboratory is uh, is potentially very dangerous. It's, it's not like it's, it's dangerous per se. It's more like it's such a radical omission that I think has to be measured very carefully and has to be uh, very... The, the, subst- the substitute for that has to be just perfect. And frankly, I don't even think that there is an online substitute for working in the laboratory. And this is not to say like all the other classes can be 100% online. I'm just speaking from the uh, point of view of, of working in the lab during my undergrad, really learning how to you know, handle a pipette or do all, all those kinds of small little technical things that you can only really practice with an instrument in your hand and not, uh, not in a simulation. So I think obviously a majority of the classes would end up being taught online. And that now raises not only the question of how much money these things should cost, but what should be the framework for, uh, for those types of degrees that now have completely migrated online. Should there be the same type of um, uh, coursework structure? Should there be the same learning objectives or how those learning objectives should be measured? Can they be measured in the same type of homework, quiz, exam, midterm, final exam kind of thing? Or there has to be a new way of um, assessing students' knowledge, which is maybe more akin to sort of certification programs that there is an abundance of online already, where they potentially are... uh, the turnaround for assessing students' knowledge is much faster. So it's like every few uh, lessons, and the lessons are themselves five to ten minutes long, and then you assess your knowledge. So this is this type of approach to conveying information and assessing it is probably on the minds of many uh, uh, many people who have to develop curricula for the fall semester. I guess across all the colleges and universities now or at least I really hope that they're taking this time right now to really evaluate how they should restructure their curriculum because I think online education um, is not cannot be um, used to effectively translate an on-campus learning experience by that I just mean that if you have an hour and a half lecture on campus in terms of like a history like a history lecture for example are you really going to teach the same the same an hour and a half history lecture online and expect people to pay the same amount of attention because i 
doubt that they pay that much attention in class on campus to begin with, unless you're a really, really good student, uh, teacher and student. <laughs> so I think the, 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 the pandemic actually allows the instructors, or I think instructors should really leverage this time to come up with a new uh, curriculum and new ways of assessing and evaluating students' knowledge. And do not just try and copy and paste what worked on campus into an online schedule, an online method of instruction. Because I don't think these are compatible, the, these, um, these two ways of um, of uh, providing students with knowledge are compatible or and interchangeable specifically. I think the online methodology of teaching students has to probably follow more certification style programs. Like I have um, taken a few classes on Udemy, for example, or Udacity, all those kinds of uh, learning platforms, or LinkedIn Learning, for example, where students, again, are assessed each, um, let's say, three or four mini uh, lectures or topics which are about five, ten minutes long. I think that's a very uh, bold choice uh, to to be made by, by the instructors who would dare to actually do these and implement these dramatic changes into their curriculum. But to that also, it's important to, to, to mention or to consider that probably uh, even though some instructors might actually want to switch that curriculum, whether or not there are mechanisms in place to shift how the curriculum has to be set up to allow for this greater flexibility, to allow for this online method of interaction with, with students, that I just don't know. I hope that the educational system and the framework for structuring the curricula for various classes is actually um, flexible or it is on its way to become flexible soon to really allow for this, uh, for this push to online only or online primarily mode of education. So this is when it comes to just purely online classes. So again with in terms of scientific uh, uh, classes I think there something like that has to also be um, considered where the mode of lectures is probably changed into uh, into online uh, um, into, into an online method of delivering uh, knowledge and assessing it but I think this is now I want to just take a purely my own uh, thoughts and, and express them here, which, um, and as I was thinking over this uh, this topic today before I started a recording, I had initially this thought for, actually I still kind of do, for, and I had that thought for many years now, is there is a value in this classic uh, educational approach where you have a professor who delivers a, a lecture and there's a, a bunch of students listening to it in a lecture hall. There is something, I guess, very, I want to say, um, very pure about that because I think this is a very comforting way of 
receiving knowledge, I think many of you can probably attest to that, that this is, I would assume, how you have also received your education. And maintaining that kind of tradition in a way is is almost would feel nice and would make would, would seem right. But the more I thought about it, the more I just started to have, let's say, other thoughts on the matter, or at least I started asking myself, well, does that really make sense to have now, now that we have to receive education online? Or even if we didn't have to uh, receive as much of the content online without that pandemic, how much the education style has to change or should it change in the first place? I think this is a broader topic in general and uh, because frankly nothing really stays the same and education shouldn't be the one sort of dinosaur that that doesn't change where one person speaks and the others uh, and the others listen I think I think education has it has to be a little bit more flexible than, than that I think it's not just about passive uh, knowledge uptake by the student. I think there has to be a greater interaction. And I think online, um, online, the push to do the online content, educational content, has to reflect um, uh, the the type of uh, new norm, in, in a way, within the education itself that allows for greater interactivity, allows for more student engagement and more frequent student engagement to really monitor and assess how how well they um, receive, retain and uh, understand the information that is presented to them. So I think the online education really gives uh, uh, instructors an opportunity to adjust how they would really want to develop their content strategy to to provide information about certain biological topics, right? Because again, as a scientist, there are types of topics that we are typically covering are not, um, you know, short topics. They cannot just be like sort of broken down into um, or easily broken down into like really, really small sections. I think there is some um, something to be said about taking a topic such as, let's say, mitosis, uh, which is obviously a, a, a sexual cell division, and really learning all the different phases about it within one chunk, within one lecture. So in that sense, like if you recall that, if you've taken that lecture on mitosis, it would typically not just be a mitosis lecture, it would be a mitosis and meiosis lecture. But even if it is just mitosis lecture, it is still a, a, a good like 30 minute chunk of information that at least that's how I sort of rece- remember receiving that at many different uh, points in community college, in the university, as well as even in high school. Having that topic being presented as one uh, uh, one piece without any interruptions just to absorb that whole uh, 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 topic 
has to be done in this larger format. But with online education, what's the fine line there? Do we really want to uh, maintain some of that, let's say, traditional way of conveying knowledge? Or do we want to really go uh, in some kind of completely different direction and rethink how this same knowledge would be presented to students and how would how it would be checked so these kinds of questions also obviously breed into the uh or rather feed into the larger uh, pricing of of that type of educational format do we really pay for the whole degree now or we do we pay for just chunks of information that uh students would now be more free to choose from if they are interested in taking a specific chunk or specific section of information even within the life science field or if they're not now they might be having more flexibility on that front so these are very um, important considerations uh, that i think the instructors would have to definitely address going forward and this is a perfect opportunity for them to do so and uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the educational field and science education would evolve as a result of this pandemic So with this, I'd like to wrap up and just say thank you very much for listening. I am uh, going to keep doing these monologues. I kind of like doing them and expressing some of my thoughts. So thank you very much for listening. Find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash P-A-R-Y-Z-H-O-V for more podcasts and news coverage of biomedical industry. And uh, stay safe and have a good night.